0: And on vocals, and what a wonderful time to praise God together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness. You are great. We see your power in creation around us. Our very life depends on you for energy. Yet, Lord, you have also given us minds and helped us comprehend your ways, your marvelous truth in your word. Thank you for uh, giving us that revelation. Please unpack that for us now and help our lives to be more in line with your ways for us. Thank you for Jesus, the word made flesh. Thank you for communion, for strengthening us by that sacrament. And Lord, just uh, equip us in every way to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. What are you counting on? I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Some of you have a song running through your head right now. What are you counting on to truly satisfy you? Is it working? I Can't Get No Satisfaction is the title of a song by the Rolling Stones released in June 1965. We're not dating ourselves, are we? Their first number one single in America. Apparently, the Rolling Stones are still not satisfied because I hear they're currently marking 60 years by touring Europe. The theme of their song sums up the frustrations of our experience in this life with its occasional disappointments. Part of that dissatisfaction is fed by our insatiable consumerism, addicted to advertising. The first verse of that Rolling Stones song says, When I'm driving in my car, when a man comes on the radio, he's telling me more and more about some useless information supposed to fire my imagination. I can't get no satisfaction, etc. If we're counting on worldly wealth to give us security, fluctuations in the markets and vagaries of the economy complicated by global conflicts and supply chain issues are enough to give us the heebie-jeebies. A main headline Thursday was, Bank of Canada sounds alarm on economic risk of high household debt amid soaring inflation. Gee, thanks, we needed to know that. My financial advisor phoned this week to see if I had any questions. I can tease her a bit, so I said lightheartedly, just one question, where did my money go? My portfolio, she manages, although probably about as well positioned as could be, had dropped about 10% in the past six months. Proverbs 23.5 notes, Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. <sighs> when we put all our stock in stocks, if all we care about is material things, it is hard to ever be truly satisfied. Entropy is against us. Things wear out and break down. There will always be a newer model, better features, tempting us to upgrade. It's easy to fall into the trap of comparing ourselves with our neighbors in regard to what's visible. When will we ever reach enough? Ecclesiastes 5.10 Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. Ecclesiastes views much of normal life as a chasing after the wind, fraught with futility, pointless. Pyros Zodiates wrote, When you fix your eyes on things, invariably it leads to materialism. You fix your eyes on things and you'll continually be attracted to gadgets, money, an abundance of the plastic, chrome, metal, wood, all the elements about us. You'll continually be dissatisfied. The millionaire John D. Rockefeller was asked one time, "How much does it take to satisfy a man completely?" He said, "It takes a little bit more than he has." After being fired by a Ford Company, Lee Iacocca was forced to rethink his motives and answer some gut-level questions regarding his reasons for hanging on so tenaciously to his job at Ford. His confession of greed is not hidden. Face it, it's tough for anyone to turn his back on almost a million a year plus perks. A guy who has white-coated waiters available at the snap of his fingers and a chauffeur to and from work finds it extremely difficult to put on the brakes. In a moment of vulnerable honesty, Iacocca admitted that of the seven deadly sins, greed is by far the worst. Hear him as he quotes his Italian-born father. My father always said, be careful about money. When you have 5,000, you'll want 10. When you have 10, you'll want 20. He was right. No matter what you have, it's never enough. Jesus cautioned in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6:19, "Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal." Maybe he who designed the human heart knew something about the foolishness, but also the tendency of our human soul to desire earthly treasures, material things that nevertheless are susceptible to being stolen or becoming worn out or outdated. In today's reading, we encounter a couple of individuals that are falling into this consumer trap and are reminded what's really worth putting our trust in, what can truly satisfy and won't finally disappoint us. Where's your security? And my thanks to Arabs for Christ, freebibleimages.org, for some of the artwork today. Where is your security? Estate squabbles are all too common. Families suffer splits when heirs feel they've been treated unfairly. Farmland lies fallow when the former generation has died without a clear plan for division of assets. Apparently the same thing happened in Jesus' time. The Hebrew scripture gave the oldest son the right of the firstborn, that is, a double portion of the inheritance. See, for example, Deuteronomy 17. One day, a disgruntled family member brought the issue up to Jesus. 12.13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And We don't know the details. Maybe he wanted an even split instead of two to one. Or maybe he suspected the other brother was defrauding him somehow. In that time, rabbis could be called on for civil as well as religious matters. But Jesus was not your typical rabbi and refused to get drawn into the fray. Nevertheless, Jesus seized the opportunity to point out an important principle, perhaps because he sensed the man was obsessed with material things. Verse 14, Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And he said to them, Wash out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The Greek word translated greed or covetousness comes from a root meaning wanting to have more. God's word makes clear this is a common tendency in the human heart. We are finite creatures requiring a constant supply of inputs in order to survive from a biological point of view. But are we more than just analogous to an earthworm, which is a long digestive tract surrounded by other tissue? Jesus maintains human life is more than just consisting of an abundance of stuff. New Living Translation, life is not measured by how much you own. Coveting what others have is warned against in the Ten Commandments. Scripture points us to trust in God for security. Job 31 says, If I have put my trust in gold or said to pure gold, you are my security. If I have rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune my hands had gained, that would be sin. I would have been unfaithful to God on high. Is our money drawing a heart away from God? Is it being an idol? Psalm 62.10. Do not trust an extortioner. Take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increased, do not set your heart on them. Do we have a heart condition summed up? by a dollar sign. Instead, God's word emphasizes finding our security in the Lord alone. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. See where our security should be found? He's not going to abandon us. Similarly, 1 Timothy 6.17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Wealth comes and goes, but God is our ultimate provider of our needs. Step back for a minute from this passage and consider the context. In response to Jesus' miracles, the crowds have been increasing. He's becoming very popular among the masses, 1129 29, 12, 1. Meanwhile, opposition from religious leaders is growing. Jesus has been critical of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Sooner or later, these two factors will clash. His popularity will trigger the jealousy of the leaders to the point they plot to eliminate him. How is Jesus preparing his followers for that? What will they be able to trust in when he's been crucified and ascended? It's essential that they learn to fear God and trust in God's provision. Luke twelve four, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. To God, they are worth more than many sparrows. The hairs of their head are numbered. Jesus points out that God feeds the ravens and clothes the lilies, so will much more clothe those who follow Jesus. 30 to 32 in chapter 12. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Can you trust that. God knows your needs and is pleased to give you the kingdom when you seek it first and foremost. Why wouldn't God supply those who are keen about his number one project? Huge harvests, tiny mindset. Again, the big idea is when you build bigger barns, you may find me becoming a minefield. Life is much more than the sum total of your material assets. To illustrate, Jesus tells the parable of the rich fool. Twelve sixteen, 16. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. What to do indeed? The ground has produced abundantly, New Living Translation puts it, more than he needs himself for now. Does the thought ever cross his mind that he might give some away? Be generous because uh, maybe others haven't been so fortunate. Maybe their land missed a shower or two at seasons that were critical for kernels to set. Maybe their parents or ancestors fell into serious debt and had to sell their land. What an opportunity to be a big blessing to his neighbors. He could donate a truckload to the local community food bank. He could sell it and convert it into funds to buy food in war-torn or drought-hit areas on other continents through a Canadian food grains bank. Well, at least now he could. Maybe back then it would take the form of donating more through the temple system for Levites to distribute to the needy in their local areas, which is how their social security system worked. But no, our fool doesn't think globally or even locally. All he can think about is himself. Note how often the words me or my pop up in his thoughts. He's having an inner dialogue with himself. Verse 18, NRSV. Then he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Literally, keep on relaxing, keep on being merry. Uh, Protracted private party stretching on interminably into the sunset, at least in his mind. Here we see, in its rawest naked form, the narcissistic insular mindset of our consumer culture closed in upon itself, sealed up so tight it can hardly breathe, it can't see past the end of its nose the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. A person who's all wrapped up in themselves makes a very small package. Philippians 3.19 Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Back in the Old Testament, God warned the Israelites exactly of this danger when they would enter the promised land the danger of spiritual amnesia, forgetting God. Deuteronomy 8:12 to 14. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Our certain rich man is in for a rude shock. Despite his best conjuring of a preferred future, it's not to be. God is about to take a pin and prick the balloon of his overinflated selfishness. Verse 20. God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The meaninglessness of having heaped up wealth, like Ecclesiastes said, is about to become abundantly obvious. The fool thought he was all set, but there are many things money cannot buy, and long life or health are included in that. Paul Lee Tan wrote, There are many things that money cannot buy. Money cannot buy. Money can buy. Sorry, Money can buy a bed, but not sleep. Books, but not brains. Food, but not an appetite. Finery, but not beauty. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Pleasures, but not peace. Luxuries, but not culture. Amusements, but not joy. A crucifix, but not a savior. A church building, but not But not heaven. Redefining rich. The closing line of the parable is left hanging, a rhetorical question. God asks in LT, then who will get everything you worked for? Who indeed? Certainly not the rich man. He'll be pushing up daisies. Who? Not the I. Or my, my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, myself. Who then? Maybe some of those other people that he should have thought to share his surplus with instead of just building bigger barns in order to hoard his wealth. Jesus' closing line that wraps up the parable points in a different direction for what it means to be rich. It prompts an alternate idea for the possibilities of how to be a truly rich person. 1221, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Wow. Now, there's a phrase worth unpacking. What's it mean to be rich toward God? How is the master prodding us to redefine rich? When we're rich toward God, we put our trust in him, not in gold. When we're rich toward God, we say to him, you are my security. When we're rich toward God, we fear him most of all. We're, we, we revere him. We treasure him. He's dear to our heart. When we're rich toward God, we sense he's pleased to give us the kingdom. He's looking out for our basic needs like food and clothes, even more than for the ravens and the lilies as we seek his priority. Being rich in our relationship with the Lord must surely be reflected in time we want to spend with Him, listen to Him by reading His Word, sharing our thoughts and requests and hopes with Him through prayer, pursuing more depth about what it means to be a follower of Jesus through group study and fellowship with other believers. Being rich toward God can't mean we have more material things than the Lord because. The cattle on a thousand hills are his, and by our offering, we give him only what's already from him. Yet, Scripture suggests when we share with others in need, God perceives that as giving to him. Bars 19.17, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Is there some kind of mystical link between being rich toward God and storing up treasure in heaven? 16.9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And Jesus also said in Matthew 6.20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. The Apostle Paul wrote to the early church in Romans 12, 13, Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Through hospitality, we can express in very practical ways God's love and provision, both to churched and unchurched. The church in Corinth, Paul wrote, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Being rich toward God would seem to be linked to being generous in such a way that others thank God for his mercy to them through your sharing of his abundant grace. The joy you give to others. In closing, a quick story and a poem. A man came to his pastor for counseling. He felt convicted that he had not been faithful in giving God a portion of the generous $1,000 weekly salary he was making. The man explained, I had no problem thanking God and giving him a liberal offering when I was making just $250 a week. Please pray for me. The pastor then prayed, much to the man's dismay. Father, Please bring this man back to a $250 salary so that he can get back into your will. Amen. John Greenleaf Whittier wrote this poem about giving and receiving joy. Somehow, not only for Christmas, but all the long year through, the joy that you give to others is the joy that comes back to you. And the more you spend in blessing the poor and the lonely and sad the more of your heart's possessions return to make you glad. Let's pray. Father in heaven, our gracious provider, we confess we recognize something of ourselves in this rich fool in the parable. We are eager to store up, kick back, and relax long. Too often we're preoccupied with me, myself, and I, and blind to the needs of others. Merciful Savior, help us to find our security in you, not anything this world affords. We want to be rich toward you, not a self-absorbed black hole. Lord Jesus, pour your self-giving love into our hearts and convert us totally so we want only what you want. So we begin to put your kingdom first in all our planning and actions. Guard us against greed. And lead us into the fullness of life in you that is truly life. Jesus' name.